0: have a seat. You know one of the most important things that you can have in hand when you are going to build a building whether it's a house or whether it's some commercial building is a good set of blueprints and you're going to need that throughout the building process to know what things need to be purchased and to know where things go, what the measurements are, all that stuff. And you know, the truth is you shouldn't get rid of the blueprints when you're finished building because there may be a day when you want to change something, when you want to remodel or maybe you have to repair something and someone may say, do you have a set of plans so that I can see what was done originally? In fact, in this building, I can't tell you how many times a contractor has come in and said, do you have the blueprints? And it's like a flip of the coin whether we do or not because this building was built and then added on to and then remodeled and added on to and remodeled again and then more was added on and it's just been done so many times. We might have the original blueprints but it's been changed 12 times since then. But they always want to know what the plans look like. Well, you know, we need that in life for physical buildings, but the truth is, sometimes we need a set of plans for the church because we want to know what it should look like, what it looked like in the very beginning, and then now. How can it be changed? What needs to stay the same? And what can be adapted to the culture in which we live so that we relate to the world around us in an effective way? So for the next few weeks, we're going to be in this series that I'm calling Blueprint. And we're thinking about a plan for a stronger and better church. And to get at that, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. Ephesians really does tell us a lot about the life of the church and we're going to focus in on chapters 1 through 3. In some ways, when, when scholars look at this book, they say it's almost more than like the rest of Paul's letters that when you have all these personal greetings. Romans 16, the whole last chapter of the book of Romans is all personal greetings. People that Paul knew or had heard of who were in Rome, in the church. He says something about them or to them. We don't get that in Ephesians. It's almost like it's a handbook for the life of the church. In fact, at the beginning where it says it's to the church in Ephesus and a lot of our oldest manuscripts... It's blank there. It's like you just filled it in and then they passed it around. And it might be to Ephesus first and then it would be sent on to Laodicea. Different churches around would take this and it sort of applied to them all equally because it was general knowledge about church life. Well, for the next few weeks, I want us to take this writing, this handbook, this letter, if you want to call it that and think through what does it say to Taylorville Christian Church? What does it say to us 2,000 years later about church life and what we need to be as the church in this series we're calling Blueprint? And and just so you know, we'll be talking about this in our life groups that are getting started again this week. If you want to get in a group, let me know. We can try to get you in a group even this week. And, And we're thinking through these lessons as a part of our discussion in our life groups. Now, Today, we're going to think a little bit, sort of take a step back, and as Paul does in the letter, and and make us think about our identity. Because if we're going to think about the blueprint of the church, a couple questions that we have to ask ourselves are, who are we as followers of Jesus? What does it mean for me to be a person of faith in Jesus Christ as an individual? And then, who are we as the church? What does it mean for us to be the church together? If we each are followers of Jesus and we've come together holding that in common, what does that look like? Because identity really does matter. We need to know who we are. It wasn't that long ago, Leanne and I were watching an episode of a show that we sometimes watch, and, and it was all about a man who had lost his sense of identity, He was found in a subway station in England, and he was playing the piano brilliantly, but he had no idea who he was. And so the police were trying to help him. They took his DNA, and it turns out his DNA had shown up at the scene of a murder. So they immediately arrested him. Well, the rest of the show was about him trying to figure out who he was, and he had these glimpses of his identity. And and he finally, it all sort of came together in one moment, and he remembered what happened, and he could explain it to the police, and they found out that it really wasn't him, and he was released. But it all hinged on his identity. I want us to think about our identity in Christ, because here's a question that matters. What happens when we become followers of Jesus Christ. Does anything real change because I say I have faith in Jesus Christ? And if so, what does change? Because sometimes we think there's not much that changes. Like someone becomes a Christian and they've had some struggles and we might even say, I don't know if they can really change. Well, the New Testament paints a different picture. And Paul paints a different picture in this passage. That something dramatic changes when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's sort of an extended passage, so I'm going to read a good bit, but sort of try to stay with me as we do that, because Paul says some really powerful things that impact us as individual followers of Jesus and as a church together, as we think about what it means to develop a blueprint of the church. So, we begin in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 3, where Paul says this, Praise or blessings, he says that, blessings be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's a whole lot of blessing going on in that verse, isn't there? We bless God because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing He's blessed us with. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means God has blessed us with a new identity. You see, we were created to bear the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 tells us we were created in the image of God. If you look through Scripture over and over, we are called to show people who God is by the way that we live our lives. And sometimes, well, we mess that up, don't we? We're sort of showing people a different image. We're showing people a broken image. The image that we've created because we pursued everything that we want, whether it was right or wrong. And we've allowed sin to overtake us. And we've corrupted the image that God gave us. And Paul is saying, listen, God is reestablishing what you were created to be and to do. You were created to bear God's image. And part of his blessing on your life is... He reestablishes that. Now what does that look like? And we're going to lay that out in the rest of this passage. But but Paul opens with praise or blessing to God because of the way God has blessed us. Verse 4, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. So the first thing that changes is that He chose us to be holy and blameless. And maybe when you hear that, you say... Man, I think you got the wrong guy, because I don't feel holy and blameless. If God chose me to be holy and blameless, somehow this is messed up. Well, the truth is, all of us sort of followed the wrong path and corrupted this image-bearing that we were supposed to be able to do for the people around us, and we were corrupted by sin. And then we followed Jesus. And we repent of our sins. We say, you know what, I want to live in a different way. But we also know that since then, we've messed up a few times as well, maybe over and over. So how in the world could Paul say that we are holy and blameless? I think what Paul is saying is, first of all, that God sees us that way because of Jesus, and that he is making us holy and blameless. He is making us the people that He wants us to be. And so today, we're not perfect, and we're never going to be perfect in this life. But as we walk through this life, if we follow God's leading, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, He is transforming us. If we allow it, God can make us into something better than we are Today. He can make us holier tomorrow than we are today. More blameless tomorrow than we are today. But we've got to allow Him to do that. But God can do that. It's one of the things that God changes in us. Verse 5, In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. Now, we hear that word predestined, and we go, okay, exactly what does that mean? What does it mean that God predestined us to something? Is like he, he chooses some people He's going to love, some people He's not going to love. These are going to be good. These are going to be bad. I don't think that's what's going on. I think part of what Paul is saying is that God chose us, and I think He chose us all. And guess what? We get to decide, do I want that calling? or am I going to walk away from it. But the key in this verse is not so much the word predestined, it's that he predestined us to sonship. He has adopted us. That's the second thing that changes when we follow Jesus. We become part of God's family. We become sons and daughters of God. He He adopts us in. He takes us as though we were alone without anyone. And He brings us into His family. And so, not only does it change our relationship with Him, we are sons and daughters of God. He loves us as sons and daughters. With everything that means, that we become part of who He is in His family, it changes the way that we relate to one another as well, right? Because we are now brothers and sisters. We are God's family Together, He has called us into this special relationship with Him, but also with each other. And it gives us an inheritance that we'll come back to as well. Verse 7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. We'll stop there in the middle of verse 8. He gives us redemption in His blood. Now, redemption's not a word that we use very much in our everyday life, but it's an important word in Scripture, and it's all based in slavery. It's as if, since we were made for one thing, and we gave that up to pursue all that we wanted, right or wrong, we allowed sin to overtake us, and our desires for what we want only increase, and we walk further and further away from God until our our sin becomes our master. And the image is... God sees us as slaves, slaves to our own sin. And and on the auction block, he purchases us. Not to make us slaves, not to force us to serve him, but to free us from our slavery. And then if we want to serve him, that's, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're created for, but God never forces us to do that. And so we are redeemed in that God purchases us away from our slavery to sin and then invites us in to be the people he wanted us to be from the beginning, to be his image bearer so that people would know him through us. He frees us to be what we should have been all along. So he purchased our freedom Pick up in the middle of verse 8, "...with all wisdom and understanding, he may known to us the mystery or the secret of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ." And in this powerful verse, verse 10, "...to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." And that is not strictly something that happens in the future. The language there is very much a present reality that has its fulfillment in the end. Okay? So, so, He's made known to us the secret. He's brought us in on the secret. What's the secret? The mystery He talks about there. It's that Jesus is Lord of all, even now. That all things have brought, been brought under the lordship, the kingship, of Jesus Christ in heaven and on earth. All powers, all authorities, good or bad, are brought together under Jesus. You know, when we read the beginnings of the Gospels, many of them say, Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. And sometimes we hear that and we go, oh, that's talking about like heaven in the end when Jesus comes back. But that's not what it means. It means Jesus being in control. Jesus being Lord of all things. Even as He was on the cross, He was crowned, He had a robe, He was being made King. Now, the Romans didn't understand what kind of King. But that's Jesus' coronation that is confirmed in His resurrection. But we might say, if, if Jesus is Lord of all things, in heaven and on earth, even now, like How did 2020 happen, right? How are we in the mess we're in today if Jesus is really in control? When we say Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, all things have been brought together in Him under heaven and on earth, what are we saying? We're saying Jesus is Lord today, that His reign has begun but it will not be fulfilled until he does return. But that doesn't mean there's nothing happening now. You see, we've been invited in. We've been invited in as those who bear the image of God, who have been redeemed, who have been adopted. And we're invited to be part of that, to To allow the kingship of Jesus to be at work so much in our lives that we express it to others. And so, the kingdom of God becomes a reality when in the midst of 2020, we proclaim peace rather than strife. When the the people around us are ready to go to war, we are the peacemakers. Jesus said, part of being the kingdom of God, blessed are the peacemakers. And when we call to check on people that we know are still struggling and can't get out, do they have what they need? Are they alone? Just a call to encourage. I mean, That's the kingdom of God at work. That's the reign of Jesus at work in you and me. That's the kingdom of God. And God chooses to use us to express that kingdom, that reign of Jesus on earth. He let us in on the secret that Jesus is Lord. Verse 11. In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. So God's in charge. That's what that verse says. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. If we look back at the beginning of verse 11, it says, In Him we were also chosen, the language there really, if you, if you look back to the Greek, could be just as easily translated, we were made heirs. We inherit. That all springs from the, facts, the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted because we've been adopted. We've been made heirs. we receive received something from the king. What do we receive? What's our inheritance? God at work in us. The spiritual blessings, if we go back to verse 3 are at work in us today. That's part of our inheritance. God has chosen us to be freed from our sin so that we can be at work for Him and spend eternity praising Him. All of that is our inheritance. He made us heirs. He's given us something that matters. You know, the world says that it can give us what matters. Money, pleasure, sex, food, everything that we think our bodies want. And God says... You need some of those things. But in the end, let me show you what really matters. Let me allow you to participate in what you were created to do, to bear my image to the world around you. We've been made heirs. And then finally, beginning in verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. What's all that about? If you're wondering whether you've been adopted, if you're wondering whether you've been redeemed, if you're wondering if anything has actually changed, the deposit guaranteeing what is yet to come, eternal life, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life today? In Acts two thirty eight, it tells us to be baptized into Him, into Jesus, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we choose to follow Jesus, God indwells us; His Spirit becomes part of our lives. And that's not just so we can do miraculous stuff. That's what happened in the first century, but that God would be present with us in everything that we do. So, how are we going to be image bearers? How are we going to be holy and blameless? How can we possibly show people who God is? Because God's Spirit is at work in us. That's how. That's part of our inheritance. And it shows us that God keeps his promises. And so when you do stuff that matters in the name of Jesus Christ, that's the Spirit of God at work in you. You say, I haven't done anything all that big or powerful. It doesn't have to be big or powerful. It can be very small things that are done in the name of Jesus to show people who God is. That's God's Spirit at work in you. So if we take all of that, if I had to boil it down to one simple truth that I want us to take away from This deep passage that we find here at the beginning of Ephesians is this following Jesus means something changes. Something changes in who we are. As a matter of fact, a lot of things change, but we can't say, I followed Jesus and nothing really changes. It doesn't work that way because God has powerful forces at work in our lives. So, when we follow Jesus, we're not the same. Once again, we can bear the image of God to the people around us. How do we do that? Well, it goes back to our mission to love God and love others. And we're changed individually. There's something changes in who we are as individuals. We are redeemed. We are freed from our sin. We become sons and daughters of God. All those things we talked about. But something changes in us as a body as we think about the blueprint for the church and becoming a stronger church if we all have come together and we're all filled with god's spirit if we're all released from the power of our sin if we are becoming holier and more blameless if we are brothers and sisters in christ that changes how we understand ourselves we're not the same as we always were so here we are as a family sharing in the kingdom of God, sort of honoring this open secret that Jesus is Lord. We as a body of believers have been called to bear the image of God to our community, the communities around us, and to the world. And so we have to decide. Do we think putting our faith in Jesus is a nice thing to do and maybe it makes our parents happy or our kids happy or our spouse happy? Or is there something real, something inherent in us that changes because of the power of God at work in us? Paul would say there's a real change. Following Jesus means something changes. Let's pray together. That we're thankful for your power at work in our lives. We want to be people who bear your image so that people see you because they see us. And so God, whatever needs to change in us to make that happen, whether it's understanding that we are sons and daughters, or the family, or that we've been freed from the power of sin, whatever it is, God, change it so that we can bear your image to the people around us. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and worship.